Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast, 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, the House has passed a filibuster carve out for Democrats to unilaterally hike the debt limit. So every year around this time, the government gets together and tries to whip up a uh, whip us up into a panic because they can't fund the money that they've already committed to spending or maybe even have spent already. I don't care at this point. I don't care if the whole thing collapses. The less the government does, the better. Of course, they always pay the people back, maybe pay them for not working. It's just very, very government-y. But it upsets me as they erode the power of the filibuster. It reminds me of a book I read, The Committee of 300 by John Coleman, where he pointed out a few things that were yet to come. Almost all of his predictions and analyses were true. He himself like got a little sketchy later on. I feel like he was being used by other people. But if you go back and read that book, it's a really good one. And he talks about how drugs would become legal, how um, porn would be act like art. I've witnessed both of those things happen after I thought that he was wrong. And then the third thing was that we would start eroding the distinctions between our system and the parliamentary system of, say, England. And some of that is like the budget resolution process or uh, doing away with earmarks. Like those are ways that the legislation, legislators retain control of the purse strings as opposed to the executive having it. So I saw those things he wrote before my eyes, did not like it. And that, so people like, think that earmarks are bad. They're not. They're the way that Congress determines how kind of bigger spending packages get spent. And the continuing budget resolution was the worst because then Obama had a lot of authority. The legislation wasn't even controlling the purse strings. They didn't even agree on the money and the money still went out. But the last thing is the filibuster, which is a way that minorities, so there's like fair amount of checks and balances in our system, including that so states in federal or the three branches, but also the filibuster is a way for a minority position or even a single person to not get steamrolled by a majority, which a majority rule is a dangerous thing. What you want is foundational rule, constitutional rule, very strictly limiting the parameters of, of how people can um, pass laws within that framework or execute them. So the filibuster is a great way for someone to say, like, I'm just, I can't, I can't have this. It's almost like a little veto power or kicking the can. So every time they erode that and both parties have, I get worried and they're doing that for this. I don't care about this particular thing. It is pretty much partisan. Democrats voting for it, Republicans voting against it. Of course, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, which could stop all of this stuff, he's going along with it. The Republicans are so, so bad. Um, anyway, but I do, I did want to point out people like Trump, whatever. I, I was really disgusted when right out of the gate, right out of the gate, Trump basically neutralized the sequester. It was a very hard one budget constraint that the Republicans got against Obama. And as soon as Trump took office, he got rid of it. It There was a just a, a quote. I put a lot of these links in the show notes, but this says uh, sequestration had been put in place by the Budget Control Act 
of 2011. It remained on the books after Trump took office, but Congress, with the acquiescence of Trump, found a way to make it moot by invoking another section of budget law, the Balanced Budget and Emergency Deficit Control Act of 1985. Congress circumvented the spending caps by deeming their priorities an emergency. And that was all uh, with Trump's cooperation. He signed H.R. 244, the Higher Vets Act, into law, which marked effectively the end of the sequester, which was mortally wounded the day before when the Senate passed the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2017, the the 2017 Omnibus Act, also known as. So they all got together. They gutted this stuff. I don't care about I mean, we have a $30 trillion national debt. Like, as I've said before, that will not be resolved within the existing paradigm. So get ready for yet another paradigm shift. And who knows if that's going to usher in DigiDollars. I don't know, but a lot of stuff going on there in D.C. Boring, but true. I just can't wrap my head around trillions of dollars worth of debt. I mean, I understand the idea that they're building more and more debt, and they continue to do that each year. It's just so crazy that we're so normalized to, oh yeah, just trillions of dollars. I mean, that is so much money. What's really impossible to wrap the mind around, I, I imagine that people can comprehend it. I cannot. And I and if I didn't do anything else and really tried to figure it out and I spent like a month on it, I probably could learn to intuit the idea that we have a debt-based currency and that the debt has to grow in order for the economy not to collapse. I mean, that's what people tell me. I cannot intuitively get my mind around that. I think if you went to a gold standard, it would probably collapse the economy. I don't know. I cannot get my mind around it. But it's even more unfathomable than simply a $30 trillion price tag. It's really hard to get the mind around. Yeah, you'd need a pretty big briefcase to fit that amount of cash in. Well, that's why I think DigiDollars are coming. I mean, because now it's just, it's, I have a book called Money of the Mind. I'll have to look at it. It, maybe it answers the question because this has become Money of the Mind. And I guess it will be ultimately Money of the Metaverse. Yeah. Just in time for Christmas. Fox News put their Christmas tree up outside their building this past weekend in Manhattan, New York City. And this morning, just after midnight, that Christmas tree burned to the ground. Holy cannoli. It was set ablaze. I guess it could have been like a scene out of Christmas Vacation, only the tree is substantially larger than the one Clark Griswold had. But the video was shown on an app called, there's video of the tree burning down on an app called the Citizen app, which this is actually the most interesting part of the story to me. They put these little nuggets into stories that are almost like advertisements for certain companies that you haven't heard of before or that are relatively new. That's the first time I heard about Zoom was when Biden mentioned it multiple times during his campaign. And I remember even saying, I think that company's going somewhere that, that is so crazy that you should mention that because I was I have a story for the XR about Viagra. And when I was talking about it with Sir Tim, 
I was saying this story is everywhere. It's the top of the news cycle everywhere. And it's based on like bad science and nobody's talking about that. I said, this is just an advertisement. And he, he coined it and I wrote it down for the newsletter glossary term for next month, native advertising. So Rush Limbaugh used to do it, but you knew it was an ad because like he'd be talking and it was very seamless, like the tone, the level, like his voice sounded exactly the same. It was probably cut in, but or maybe he was saying it. It'd be for like LifeLock. And it would take you a minute because he would say, oh, my gosh, like I my identity got stolen. And you'd be like, oh, my gosh, Rush, really? Like after I fell for that like 10 times, I realized. He was very good at that. He was very very good at that. So Sir Tim pointed that out. And I thought that's funny that you should say that. Yeah. And this app used to be called the Vigilante back before Vigilante became a bad word, I guess. But it's a mobile app that sends users location-based safety alerts in real time. It allows users to read updates about ongoing reports, broadcast, live video, and leave comments. The app uses radio antennas installed in major city- cities to monitor 911 communications with employees filtering the audio to generate the alerts. That's the basic summary of it. So I find that interesting. I'm wondering if that app is going to fold into the Gabby Petito search, the crowdsource-based so investigations wait, the FBI are using. This. How is this about the Christmas tree? This is how the Christmas tree video was reported. It was through this app. Okay. I must have missed that sentence. Yeah. The video um, of the, the Christmas tree on fire was being streamed through this app. You could see smoke bellowing, black smoke everywhere. And the Citizen app is, at least in this article, is get being credited for showcasing the Christmas tree being on okay. fire. Okay. Wow. There is definitely something to that. And by coincidence, I heard today Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, was this was a third hand story on Fox, but I didn't read her quote or anything. But it said how she thought uh, they called it like victim blaming that she was saying, well, these they should have these stores that are getting looted should have private security. They don't take their own security under responsibility enough and then you have see something say something folding in you have red flag laws and now you have the citizen app it's it's really weird defund the police so it's it's maybe not just about making the police federal but by making all the people police which is very east germany and yeah on the one hand they're saying See something, say something, be vigilant. On the other hand, they're saying vigilantes are racist, no vigilante justice. It just depends on who's carrying out such justice or I guess the way they're carrying it out as well. And that if your self-defense weapon is just a video, is just a phone, it's okay. And then they can say, well, you don't need guns because you have ShotSpotter and you have the Citizen app and, and the government is monitoring yours. If you That actually folds into my last free story of the Free 30, which is about someone who's getting international um, criticism for having left her phone at home. It's a it's a it's a, a, a story. Very, more, very yeah, very interesting. You left it. your only weapon for stopping the crime at home. Yeah, in, you, that in, in the phone. It's just irresponsible. So yeah. it's a, interesting. It has more nuance to it. That story, other things. But I did before we move. Yeah, one away. more thing about that Christmas tree, oh, real yeah. quick. Mm-hmm. Is they did arrest somebody. It was a forty-eight-year-old man. They say that he set it on fire. It appears to be intentional. The way they're talking about it in the article, they say he was a. The only one there, so I guess he's a lone arsonist as opposed to a lone gunman. And they are not saying whether or not he used an, uh, a device. To, yes, a device to set it off. 
So this story, it's kind of, I mean, it's a big Christmas tree. This had 100,000 decorations on it. 100,000? I think that's what it was. Yeah, it had, here we go. Oh, not 100,000, excuse me. It was filled with 10,000 glass ornaments. That's a lot less than 100,000. 100,000 lights. And it took over 21 hours to put together. And they just did it on Sunday. I'd be mad if I worked on it. But that's a pretty big tree. And it's outside a big building. a new major news corporation, and it's not really being taken all that seriously. Imagine if it this happened in front of CNN or an MSNBC. I feel oh, like this yeah. would be considered a terroristic event. Yes, it happened absolutely. Somewhere else. Yes, although I did hear Fox itself talking about it as a an attack on Christianity. Oh wow! So maybe it is in a way, but of course, attacks from the left don't get the terrorism label, but I also think it's kind of early in the year for a tree to go up and smoke that. Maybe that's what he was upset about. It's too early. Well, it's just that it usually takes a few weeks for them to dry out enough to be flammable. I was thinking it was an artificial tree, but maybe it was a real tree. I actually don't know. Gee, I can't imagine an artificial tree going up at all, but who knows? So, There was just one thing before we moved on from the D.C. politics that a listener of ours, James, from the Blackbird podcast, we've had lots of fun interactions with him, and he's an avid listener. He had a couple of great and interesting comments, and one of them pertains to a story we had yesterday. I'll just read what he had to say, and you can do with it what you will. I have not been able to follow up on too much of this claim, but he says, uh, I was floored when you guys said David Nunez is CEO of Trump's, Devin Nunez is CEO of Trump's social network. He was the first person to put parlor in people's ears when he pumped it on Twitter. As you know, he was the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. The founder of parlor, John Matz, is like you say, as deep state as it gets. I don't know anything about his early life, but his first job out of college was at a defense contractor in a security clearance position. He got this from LinkedIn. James did. Wouldn't surprise me if his parents are some kind of diplomatic or intelligence mucky mucks. I know Parler was a big honeypot from the get go. And with Nunez at the helm, Trump's social network is going to be one, too. I'd avoid it. That's James's point. And I had to say, I dug in a little bit. I could not find anything about that Matt's guy, although he was younger than I expected. He looked like he was going to be a big tech face job, if you look, if you ask me. Uh, but if he saw this, and I'm not on LinkedIn, so I couldn't check it out. But if he was a defense contractor in a security cleared position, and uh, you can't find information on the parents, and then... When I looked into Parlor itself, it was founded secretly at first, but then it came out by Rebecca Mercer, who is Cambridge Analytica that, you know. I expect a merger or something to happen with Parlor. And maybe, I don't know about Gab. Gab Parler's seems to be back, a little right? bit independently separate. Parlor's now on Epic, they say. It's called Epic now? No. Epic is a host like that competes with GoDaddy, for example. And I think Parler used to be on maybe Amazon or something like it that. It was on so Apple, then down. Amazon. Apple. But what's Somebody interesting, it got kicked off of Apple and Apple. moved somewhere else. And I thought Amazon took them down. Trump, Trump's platform is already like being pre-published or pre-sold on the iTunes app. So it is going to be on the Apple platform, as of now anyway. I, I thought it was Amazon that took them down. That Amazon was what actually got them. Well, it says that Apple and Google removed 
the mobile app, but Amazon Web Services canceled its hosting services. That's when you really get hit. And that's why he moved on to Epic. Now, Epic was something that we were going to move on to from GoDaddy because we felt that they were going to stay one step ahead of getting taken down. So if this guy's an inside job, maybe he went to Epic just to screw Epic over. And I assume that they're, I mean, I guess they would just host it themselves. But I know I've, I've heard a couple of people I don't really have too much suspicions over being involved in the Trump social media thing. I wouldn't trust it as far as I could throw it, but it does. I, I mean, there are definitely people involved in it who are a hundred, you know, who are who are view who are treating it as totally legit as investors and stuff like that. It's like an organizing tool to put together all these groups. We have Gab, we have Parley, we have other groups that have been created in the wake of people who aren't all the way in on the progressive agenda being kind of pushed off of the other platforms. I think that this is a way to organize all those under one umbrella. For Maybe. good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely has a purpose. I don't know exactly what to expect from it yet, but. So when's the last time you've been to a wedding? <sighs> Labor Day. Were you wearing a headset? <laughs> no, but a listener sent me a really beautiful Made Me Cry video of her daughter's wedding and all the people were dancing with headphones on. There's a way to have a silent party where everybody wears headphones. Can you believe that? I know that's not what you're going to tell me about, but isn't that interesting? That so is the neighbors don't call the cops. As a person who hates extraneous noise, that's probably good. Although when somebody has a party in the neighborhood, it makes me happy. Somebody could mess with him, though, and play different songs in different ears, and people would be really you, off balance. Dancing. Yes, yes. I think that that's a possibility. So at least it was real people and not avatars, because apparently now we have people who are getting married in the metaverse with a caveat, which I'll tell you about that in a moment. They cover what a metaverse wedding is going to be like. This is from the New York Times. They talk about one specific couple that worked for one of these platforms. And so the platform decided to throw this couple a wedding. The couple met. They met as avatars in the metaverse. This is a few years ago when the metaverse was Come even newer on. than it is now. Yeah. And huh. the company that one of them worked for, because one of them worked for this company, and this is another example of advertising within the article, because the, the company that's mentioned the entire time is the same, the same platform called Verbela, V-I-R-B-E-L-A. So that's the company featured the whole time. So I'm going to look into their stock personally, but... They threw the guy a wedding because they met in the metaverse. They said it would have been $30,000, the equivalent of that, if it were a real, if they, if they had to pay for <laughs> it. Uh, but here are some of the features that the article talks about. It benefits, perhaps, to having a metaverse wedding that we could see more of in the future. Guest list in the thousands. No more worrying about who to invite, who not to invite, where to cut it off. Gift registries that feature NFTs. Destination weddings in space. Which I wonder how long it's going to be <laughs> till people cool. buy up buy up the virtual space and jack oh up the price word. on it. Wedding parties go globe trotting virtually. A morning session in Italy, an evening session in Paris. Flowers popping up from the ground as you're walking down the aisle. You're always a size four, and you never have a bad hair day. That's Does another it benefit. Say that? This is what the article says. Yeah, it's what one of the, the women is, is quoted as saying. A size four is pretty small. So, well, it's also an avatar eating disorders. 
So your Body avatar shaming. is being walked down the aisle by your father or whoever's avatar who's not. So you guys are in separate locations. It does give the added benefit of if it were a live wedding because they had the Zoom wedding. So my niece got married over the Zoom, over the COVID period like a year ago. And my parents couldn't go. My mom and dad couldn't go but just because of the it's hard. It was hard for them to travel. And so we watched it through. A Zoom-like video, a live stream, and we, it was very hard to see. So this is kind of an upgrade from that. So as opposed to watching it, you would then be able to put on your headset and your avatar would be able to be there and give a speech, your little weird-looking avatar, if you've ever seen what these avatars look like. So it has that benefit for people who are unable to make it. And the wedding planner's role would be shifting from that of wedding planner to more of a film producer where they're creating this experience in this metaverse that people would come to. That's so, kind of a thing right now anyway. Yeah. So one of my my niece had a wedding. She basically didn't invite anybody to, but I mean, they literally spent more time taking pictures. So she created an event that mm-hmm. looked like it was a real event, but... Nobody was there, you know? Right. It was just all about the pictures. And that's what... I mean, the the husband and wife don't even have to be in the same place if they're in the metaverse. You just got to have your headset on. And this company that they keep featuring in, they started off as just making these platforms for work environments, kind of like Zuckerberg talked about in that video. But because they got so many requests for weddings and other types of events, they have shifted their focus to creating these weddings and, and making more of an experience for your, your your avatar, your cartoon rendering, as opposed to your actual physical self. But what's interesting about this is currently weddings that occur solely in the metaverse are not illegal anywhere. So that's not a binding wedding. So you still have to do the physical thing because while some states have specific rules, uh, allowing certain types of digital weddings, all states that allow the virtual online weddings require officiants and couples to use a video conferencing technology that enables them to see and hear each other in real time without anything that distorts their appearance, such as a filter or adorable oh. cartoon Oh, that's character. interesting, yeah. So, because it's a legal contract. Right. So that begs the question, what type of laws will be presented that allows this to happen? And what impact will those laws be? So if you're and an you avatar. Fakes. In, right. If you're exactly. That's what I'm saying. If like, that's a great point. If your avatar in the future can be legally bound to something that happens in the metaverse that might not be you. What else can your avatar be subject to? When it comes to government regulations inside the metaverse. Yeah, because like Russian mail order brides and stuff. I mean, I don't know if they get married before they get here. I don't think you're really allowed to do it that way, but I'm sure there are implications. I mean, it's a legal contract. It has legal implications. I don't agree with that. I think it should just be contractual stuff to buy, sign a contract and that's that. But yeah, it's complicated. I mean, it's it's marriage. And I think in order for marriage really to be considered valid, it must be consummated. So you're going to have to run into each other eventually unless well, you can your avatars okay. can, you know, could be could knock be. boots in the metaverse. And perhaps that's enough. So I do. I will tell you about this in the XR since uh, um, it's pertinent. A friend of mine sent me an article before we even talked about this about what edward snowden has to say about just exactly 
the discussion we were having about the metaverse yesterday in the full scarcity and the expensive nothings and whatever. So I'll read a couple of quotes from him. Anytime he or his head says something, it makes me nervous that I was thinking the same thing because obviously I was incepted. But <laughs> to use Cam's verbizing of that word, which I love. So uh Ready for a little break and then on to the last story? Okay. Well, before we get to our last story of the Free 30, in which I will tell you about a smoke show who is being faulted for not being holier than the church. I mean, I can't fault her. Maybe you can. We'll talk about that. But in the XR, we're going to talk about a new smartphone feature that's a little too smart and... Is Viagra good for your brain? But before any of that, a big thanks to the sponsor of today's show, Etienne de la Boetie Squared and his latest edition of Government's The Biggest Scam in History. He is currently working on a fifth edition updated with the biggest scam of our time, the so-called pandemic, through uh, artofliberty.org slash Indiegogo, I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O, artofliberty.org slash Indiegogo, where you can pre-order the fifth edition, which, as I said, is updated with the scam of the COVID. also has a new 32-gig liberator with best evidence of COVID criminality. It also includes new formats, EPUB, hard copy, high-res, and a new Gorilla Pop-Up bookstore where anyone with a retail location can buy low-cost books and share in the profits. You get everything you need to merchandise the book in a small footprint in coffee shops, cafes, yoga studios, whatever you got going. It costs for 10 books and 10 liberators plus the merchandising kit, $275, and uh, you make that back plus some profits. So if you have a little business, you can go there. But if you just want the book for yourself, you want to give it as gifts, might not be ready for Christmas, but you can pre-order it at artofliberty.org slash Indiegogo. And best of all, Etienne himself will be on the Propaganda Report, walking us through all the new material. There will even be a musical guest as Grant Elman shares his song Scam with us. It's going viral in its own right, so I really look forward to hearing that. If all goes according to plan, we will get you that interview and the song in all of our feeds by this time next week. So so stay tuned for that. And thank you, Etienne, for supporting us. We love supporting you, too. There's another way for you to support us. You can support all of our sponsors at our website, thepropreport.com. Go to the shop menu button, press that, and inside there, you can find a link to all of our sponsors and their promo codes, and as well as uh a portal into our store of some pretty awesome merch. But if all you really want is the additional content, there's a couple of different ways to get that. And if I may get ahead of myself and tease, there is another way coming soon. But in the meanwhile, if you want to listen to the podcast of the extended version of our show, commercial free, you can do that on your favorite podcasting app through Patreon, patreon.com slash propaganda report. But if you want something bigger, something more, you can go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report, get all of our deep dive videos, all the videos of our interviews that we do, all of our XR, everything, commercial free podcasts every day. 
You have to watch that at Rockfin, but you also get all of the exclusive content of all the creators on Rockfin. It's really amazing. I mean, if you, you could, it could be your only media subscription at all, and you would get more than you could possibly consume. So those platforms we are very happy with. Hope you enjoy them and take advantage of them. And now on to the last big story of the Free 30. So here is the thing. Finland's prime minister. Have you seen a picture of this chick? She's 36. She's gorgeous. Well, so uh, Finland's prime minister? Yeah, she's not blonde. You might think she'd be blonde, but she is just gorgeous. I mean, I have seen a picture line. of her, yes. She is really gorgeous. I mean, I, I shouldn't even call her hot or a smoke show because she looks skinny as a rail, but she really has a very, very She's got face. my vote. Yes, exactly. I'm sure. So she, uh, she's also, I guess, uh, a, a good time girl, <laughs> or at least likes to All have right. some fun because she was out clubbing till 4 a.m. recently. She left her work phone at home and so was unreachable when she got an emergency text. This is the prime minister of Finland. I'm thinking Ukraine, Russia, Biden, Putin, NATO. What the hell? She got a text. She wasn't there to get it. What was it? What do you think the text was about? We're at war. She needed to quarantine. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is international news. Wow. And there's more to the story. So she apologized for going clubbing after coming into close contact with someone who had COVID-19. She knew about it before she went clubbing. But guess what? She's fully vaccinated. So her, I don't know who it was, Secretary of State or whatever the equivalent of that is, told her the protocol did not require that she test or stay home because of her vaccinated status. Then they changed their story, I guess. She got uh, the text. She was initially told she did not need to isolate. Later missed a text that then advised her to do so. So later she got a text that contradicted her previous instructions when she saw the text on Sunday, she urgently sought a COVID test, which came back negative. At first, she defended her actions because she said that she had followed the advice of her secretary of state who had informed her about the COVID exposure and told her about the protocol. But later, she backpedaled on defending herself for doing everything she was told and asked to do. She didn't feel unwell. There were no damages here. Nobody got sick that we know of. And she had a negative test, so it wouldn't have been her anyway. So she doubled, she uh, backpedaled and said that she should have double checked the guidance and used better judgment. I'm very sorry, she said, for not understanding that I needed to do that. So I have a few little points about this. I wonder if you do too. One, she's clearly now responsible for being holier than the church. She followed the guidelines scrupulously, but like people who pay their legally obligated taxes and are criticized for not paying extra, I mean, that's that literally a thing, I think, during the Mitt Romney era. She's being criticized for simply following Every single instruction she was given, that's not enough. She also is, it's implied that she was negligent or somehow irresponsible for not carrying around with her a, a device that could 
track her down for not it's a tracking device, a tracing device, communication device. She the headline was that she didn't she had the nerve to go out without bringing her work phone with her, which was sounded like a week weekend night. And the other thing I would say is that, like I said, there were no damages. So this is another these are all changes in the fundamental understanding of legal obligations or m- social mores, where if there are no damages, if you did something that didn't hurt anybody, unless it was really grossly negligent, well-established to be that the reasonable person would find it to be unreasonable, then you really aren't responsible for having done something wrong. But because we have these protocols, violating the protocols rather than causing any harm is what was so shockingly um, criminal almost about what she did. I think it's interesting that leaving your phone at home is the violation of protocol and not being the prime minister out clubbing. Can you imagine you're at a club and the prime minister is, you know, dancing, maybe dropping X? Right. I mean, you wonder if she's supposed to never drink also. I mean, does she have a button that her finger's on to blow up other countries? Like what, what, where do they ever have off? Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying she should have off. But Maybe that's her is. thing, though, is she gets into those types of controversies. I'm noticing on her profile here really? that she got into another controversy last year, in October of last year, because she took part in a photo shoot in which she wore a blazer with nothing else underneath, and it generated a whole a bunch question. of controversy. Is her father a diplomat? Can Let we look that up real see. quick? I'll do a wrap while you look that up, and we can hit it in the XR. All Don't right. even tell us. Don't even tell us the answer. Okay. We'll get to it in the XR. So uh, I have a couple of things in the wrap. One, uh, another comment from James of the Blackbird podcast. He asks, invites us all. And this really seems nice and sweet. And I love community building, even if it is digital. So I'm going to promote this. He says, come join the Liberty Twitter Secret Santa gift exchange. Folks can sign up at that link on my pinned tweet, James says, at the top of my Twitter feed. It's at James L.J., J-A-M-E-S-L-J, by December 17th. On December 17th, the system will give them the name of someone to secretly buy a gift for, and they'll be assigned to someone else to buy them a gift. They can reveal their identities if they want, but... We'll be doing a holiday party over Zoom on December 30th for anyone who wants to just hang out, have a drink, show off their gift, get to know the secret Santas, maybe save your reveal for that day. He says you don't have to be on Twitter to join because his tweets are all public. Just go to twitter.com slash James LJ. Follow the link on the pinned tweet to sign up. So it's a Liberty Twitter Secret Santa gift exchange. And it looks really sweet and cute. And I actually have an idea for a gift I would send someone, which I will tell you about on Monday. Awesome. I'll tell you what my stocking stuffers this year are going to be. Fantastic. Well, you guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. Monica? I did have one more shout out and that's you guys are going to the Robbie Bernstein thing tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. And uh, Ism Can and Amy wanted us to know that they'll be there around 6 at Lion Creek Bus Barn. Ism Can's going to have a Propaganda Report t-shirt. A little, pre, a little pregame just... at the bus barn? Yeah, Lion Creek Bus Barn. 
All right. We will Sorry talk to y'all tomorrow <laughs> or in the patron or DNBXR. Have a fantastic rest of your day. <laughs>